Thank you. Don't you hate introductions like that? Um, but it's really lovely to be here. And I think possibly one of the first things I'll do when I get to Tear Fund is try to change that title because it's a little bit silly. But it is a real pleasure to be here with you this morning. <clears throat> and it has a little bit of a sense of coming home because, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, because when I was a student here, this was the church that I went to. So it's really lovely to be back here all these years later. I do say all these years later because it was a long time ago. In fact, it was such a long time ago that I was over here uh, last weekend preaching at, at Evensong. Get me at St. Cat's. And, <laughs> and um, someone there said to me, were you a student here? And I, not, not at St. Cat's, but at Cambridge. And I said, yes. And they said, oh, th that will have been last century then. I thought, oh yes, you're right, that really made me feel very, very old, that it was not even last century, last millennium that I was here. But it is really nice to be back in what is almost my home church and to come and look with you at this question that you have been asking around environmental care. Thank you. Why should we care for the environment? And it's something that I believe in very passionately that is a part of the Christian faith. For me, it's not just something that is a, a secular issue that Christians have jumped onto, a few strange Christian greenies huddled in the corner somewhere with sandals and beards, and that's just the women. It's actually, for me, it really, excuse me if that was offensive, it, um, it actually, for me, really is a central part of what it means to be a Christian. And I'm going to look at that with you in a little bit. But just to tell you a bit more about myself. So I do work for, I seem to have something about titles, for this strangely titled organization, Arosha. Arosha is a Christian environmental charity. And we work around the world in something like 19 countries. And all of our work is scientifically based conservation work, whether it's with elephants or wetland sites or marine conservation work. We do all sorts of things and then always end up working with the local community that shares the space <clears throat> that these animals or the ecosystems are in. And so inevitably then we end up doing work around community development and poverty relief as well. And then I work for Arosha UK, and here we work into a rural area, actually very close to you here, called Fox Earth. And you'll hear a little bit more about that right at the end of this meeting this morning. So I won't say anything more about that. But we do rural work, and we also do urban work. And we have taken on a couple of pieces of large ground in the Southall area in London, Middlesex. And these pieces of ground were totally derelict, real waste grounds that attracted all sorts of antisocial behaviour and <clears throat> drug misuse and etc. everything that you can imagine. And we've worked with the local churches and the local community, other faiths as well, and with the local authority to absolutely transform these areas into beautiful places that people and other parts of nature can enjoy. So right in the centre of Southall, in the, this place that is the most ethnically diverse area in the country, we now have this beautiful piece of land where there are kingfishers 
and orchids. And we work with school children and we put on play schemes and we bring people into these areas so they can actually experience the natural world and increase their sense of connectivity with what is around them. And I, as churches and theology director, I work with Christians and churches, because we are a Christian environmental charity, to help Christians understand where, the envi where environmental care fits into the Christian faith. And so I spend a lot of my time doing this kind of thing, uh, speaking at conferences and churches and so on. And today, actually, is a, a special Sunday. And we're, you might have noticed, those of you who are observant, this table down here. And we're going to finish our time together by celebrating a green communion, which is something that churches all around the country are doing today as a way of celebrating the first anniversary of something that we run called Eco Church, which you have also been involved with, and you'll hear about that in a little bit. But I want to look with you at why should Christians be caring for the environment? And like I say, for me, it's not a secular issue. For me, it is something that I see right in the pages of the Bible. As I read my Bible, I see that it is like a thread that runs all the way through. And I want to look with you at four very basic and simple points that, that I see when I open up my Bible. The first is that God made this world and he loves it. Genesis 1.31 says that God looked at all that he had made and he said, it is... Thank you. God looked at each of the, the individual days, the individual components. I don't take that literally, by the way, but that's not what I'm talking on this morning. God looked at all the individual pieces that he made and he said, it's good. And then he looked at all that he had made, and he said, it is very good. Now, I know a little bit of Greek, but I'm, I don't know much Hebrew. So my very unacademic translation of that is that God looked at all that he had made, and he said, it is fantastic. I love this. Look at what I've made. Isn't it amazing? This isn't some dispassionate God who makes something and says, oh yeah, that's all right, isn't it? That will do for the time being. God looks at all that he has made and he says, it is wonderful. And really, that's all I need to say. Because as people who love God, we want to love what he loves, don't we? And we want to value that. I've got um, hanging at home a tapestry that I made some years ago. It's a, a beautiful big peacock in the woods done in the style of William Morris. Some of you will know who he is from the arts and crafts movement. Really beautiful big tapestry. And I, when I finished, I got it professionally finished off and it now hangs proudly on the wall at home. If I were to come back from being with you here today and my kids had taken it off the wall and were using it to wipe their muddy feet on. You can imagine how I'd feel, can't you? Well, I know with 100% certainty that I will not get back home and find that they have done that. Because, of course they wouldn't. They love me. And they know that this tapestry is really valuable to me and they like it. 
they wouldn't dream of taking off the wall and doing something so terrible to something that means so much to me. And the point is obvious, isn't it? This world that we live in has been made by God. God poured God's self into it. It reflects him. This is something that, that has come from God and is very good. In fact, Colossians 1, 19 to 20 tells us, or 15 to 20, tells us that it has been created by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus. It's almost as if this world is like a present for Jesus. How dare we treat something badly that is a present for the Jesus who we worship? And so as followers of Jesus, as people who love him, therefore don't we want to love and value something that God places so much worth in? So God made this world and he loves it. Secondly, we have been created in order to look after this world. Genesis 1, 26 to 28, talks about humankind's being made in God's image, in his likeness. Theologians have debated down through the ages quite what this means. Is it about something that is innate to, to being a human? Is it our ability to love? Is it our ability to form relationships? Is it our ability to know, our cognitive awareness? What does it mean to be made in God's image? Actually, it's a phrase that we know about through archaeological discoveries, and it was used of the kings in Babylon around the time that the Genesis texts were finding their, their final form. And it is about being a representative the image of God isn't so much something about who we are as what we are. It's, it's like a job title. It's a function. It's a job description. We have been made to image God, to be his representative, to be his ambassadors in this world. And we have been created to look after the rest of what God has made. The most recent translation uh, from the NIV, you, some of you might have that here with you, does Genesis 1, 26 to 28 in this way. It says, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and so on. And it's almost as if God had it in his mind that the final species he created, he would create with the express purpose of looking after everything else. That final species is us. That's why we have been made as part of our worship to God. And you might get, and I'd understand why you would, you might get a little hung up about this word ruling. What does it mean to rule over, to have dominion over? Just think for a moment about the words that God spoke over the kings in the Old Testament and his expectation of how they would rule. Can any of you think of any of the words, any of the the sort of characteristics that God was looking for in his kings. What would be some of the words that you might use to describe that? Justice, yeah. Wisdom. Strength. Pardon? Shepherding, yeah. Other words we might bring in are around love and compassion. It's really interesting, actually, to do a, a word, to do a Bible study on God's words to his kings. 
very different to the idea of ruling that we might have today, which is all about oppression and domination and subjecting and you know, ruling over someone or something. Actually, God's idea of ruling is about servanthood, love and compassion and justice, taking care of others. So when it comes to us being rulers over the rest of what God has made, we've got to be careful how we take that. That actually is about being, us being servant rulers. It totally turns it on its head. So we have been created to look after what God has made. Genesis 2 verse 15 talks about how we were placed, Adam was placed in the garden to tend it and till it and take care of it. Our primary calling, the first great commission, was to be a gardener. That's who we are. We're gardeners. I can see some of your faces. For some of you, you're like, woohoo! And others of you are, oh, I don't want to get into my garden. But that is who we are. We are gardeners placed in this world to tend it, to look after it, to nurture it, to take care of it. So we have been created to look after the rest of what God has made. But then thirdly, we know that the world has gone wrong because of us. And we live in a world today that is, is suffering incredibly. There are huge amounts of environmental problems that we are facing. And it can be really hard for us to, to be aware of those things or to remember them. You know, we're here this morning, we've probably slept pretty well, we've had a decent breakfast, we've had a nice shower, we've come over here. Life is good and pretty comfortable and it's hard to remember, actually, the bigger global context of what is going on in our world. I started off this year in Tanzania. I was out under the, with the invitation of the Diocese of the Rift Valley, working in the, the poorest area of Tanzania. And they wanted me to come out and spend some time with their diocesan leadership team, looking with them at environmental things. And as part of that, I spent a day down in the Rift Valley with a farmer called Daniel. We would call him a subsistence farmer, but he lives on his shamba, it's about six acres, grows all sorts of things. One of the most hardworking, enterprising people I have come across in a long while. I was, it was genuinely so humbling spending the day with him. And he wanted me to come down and see what he was doing see the land, and to hear about his plans for what he wants to do. He wants to plant a whole load of mango trees so that he can grow, produce enough fruit that he can take to market in order to be able to sell to feed his, his family, his wife and his little four-year-old, Daniela. So we had a really lovely day together, sitting and sharing, and he played me a love song that he'd written for his wife on the guitar and all sorts. It was wonderful. But we walked around his land... And he proudly showed me what he was doing and what his plans were. But as we walked around, it became really clear to me that actually the land was dying. He showed me where he'd planted a field of chili plants. And I looked at them. They were, they were practically dead. They were brown and withered. And he taught, showed me all his cashew trees. And they hadn't had enough rain and they hadn't swollen so his cashew crop wasn't very good and his mangoes weren't ripening properly and so on. Why? Because the rains hadn't come and Tanzania used to be very predictable with when the rains, the long rains and the short rains would come and they hadn't arrived and so the land was dying. And Daniel is just one example 
of countless numbers of people around our world who are already suffering the consequences of climate change. We might discuss it here, whether it's true or not, and caused by humans and blah, blah, blah. And while we get on and have theoretical discussions, countless numbers of people around the world are already suffering, and species are dying, and ecosystems are withering. There are all sorts of other issues that we could look at, and I'm not going to get into it this morning. But the sad reality is that our world is suffering, and it is caused by us, and by our human behaviour and our human activity. And the Bible isn't shy of talking about that. In fact, when we look in the Bible, we see that there's this triangle of relationships that exists between God, the people, and the land. So we might be used to seeing the Bible as a story about the relationship between people and God. And that's absolutely right. That's there. But always the land is also a feature. And in the Bible, the land responds to what the people are doing. So there's a really um, uh, an emotive verse in Jeremiah 4 that talks about the land mourning, M-O-U-R. The land mourns because of the people's sin. And the people's sin is that they have walked away from Yahweh, from God. They're not following God. And as a result, they're not practicing social justice. They're not taking care of other people. They're selling the needy for a pair of sandals and practicing dishonest trading standards and so on. And because of that, the land then experiences what today we would call environmental degradation. So all the way through the Bible, God, the people, and the land walk together hand in hand. And the, the wellness, the health of the environment goes alongside whether or not we are taking care of other people and whether or not we are walking in a right relationship with God. So environmental care, social justice, environment, evangelism, all of these things are of a piece in the Bible. They are all part of what the good news is all about. So the, the world has gone wrong because of us, and therefore we have a responsibility to do something about it. The good news is that we're not doing it on our own, and we are doing it because we believe that this world has a future, and because we believe that the good news of Jesus Christ is for all things, for humans and also for the whole of creation. And Colossians 1, 19 to 20, says that Jesus' blood was shed on the cross for all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now, before you string me up from the rafters or something, I still believe absolutely that Jesus died to bring about reconciliation between people and God. I haven't moved away from that. That is the center of the gospel. But the Bible teaches me to broaden my understanding of what the gospel is about and to see the good news of Jesus Christ as being about the message that Jesus died to reconcile to himself all things. And so this world has a future. Of course it does. God loves it. He's not just going to destroy it, is it? Is he? Now, I know you've got this talk coming up about um, the end times and eschatology and the future and so on, so I won't go into it too much. But the basic understanding that we see in the Bible is not that this world is going to be destroyed and we're going to spend the rest of our days on some floaty heaven and on a cloud playing a harp, and I hope that's a relief to you to hear that. That kind of picture 
that we're spending the rest of our days in heaven actually owes more to Victorian hymnology than it does to anything that we see in the Bible. The biblical picture is that when Jesus returns to this earth, the earth and the heavens are going to be transformed. They're going to be reunited. They're going to be made new. They're going to be renewed. We don't quite have the language to, um, to express it properly. But God has a future for this world. And as someone who follows him and serves him and worships him, I want to play a part in God's future. And I want to, to play that tiny part and have some small role in that. So why should we be caring for the environment? Because God made this world and he loves it. Because he's created us to look after it. Because it's gone wrong because of us. But then because it has a future and because Jesus died for all that he had made. Now, if you're anything like me, theology is useless if it doesn't actually lead to action. So I just wanted to, to finish this bit of time now by looking with you very briefly, because we don't have much time, at what can we actually do? How can we respond? And there are these four areas that I've put up, which for me are the four keys to how we can start to live in ways that take care of this world that God has made. So it's thinking about the food that we eat, the way we travel, the energy we use, and our waste, not this sort of waste, our W-A-S-T-E, the things that we throw away. And I would encourage you to think about one thing that you could do in each of those areas in order to live a bit more respectfully and carefully in God's world. The, the book up there, Ellie's for Lifestyle, is one of the books that I've written, so forgive the shameless plug, but it's a great way if you want to find out more details as to what you can do. It goes through the alphabet, takes an issue for each letter, so B is for bananas, W is for water, H is for HIV, it's got a whole mixture of things. has a very short chapter on each issue and then finishes with two or three very clear action points so you can actually go away and do something about it. It's what I might call a toilet book. I don't want to make too much of an assumption as to how long you might sit there for, but each chapter might just fit into a sitting. I don't know. You could give it a go and, and let me know if that's the case. But each chapter is quite short, so it's the sort of book that works well to keep in your toilet and just have a read and a flick through. And is there really to equip you and to help you think through, okay, what, what actually can I be doing more? Let me, while I'm talking about my book, let me just tell you about some of the other things that I've got over on the table out there by the teas and coffees. My second book, Just Living... Faith and community in an age of consumerism is looking at the question of how do we live well as followers of Jesus in, in our consumer culture. It's the, it's the culture that we're in. It's the air we breathe, the water we swim in. And I would say that we can't live effectively as followers of Jesus unless we're thinking through the impact that our culture has on us and how it impacts our lives as Christians and our discipleship. And then I've got three... Bible studies here, one on the book of Proverbs, one on the book of Malachi, one looking at issues of social, more social justice for your own personal study or if you want to do something in your small groups. And I know that in your small groups you're going to be looking more at what we've been doing today. 
Um, some of those books are starting to run out because I came by train and I couldn't bring very many and quite a lot of them went in the first one. So when you get to the table, if you find that the book that you want isn't there, just you can either buy it on Amazon or you can go to Valerio Books and you can buy it through us there. So don't worry if you get there and find that the books have gone. But I would encourage you to think through how, in response to the biblical teaching, how can I be living well in this culture, living in ways that take care of the world? In a moment, we are going to do something together and we're going to make our own commitments to, to environmental action by taking this green communion together. You may have seen this lovely table down here. But before we do that, I want to do something quite special because you as a church have actually been working towards something, eco-church that I mentioned right at the beginning. You have been working towards gaining eco-church status. And in fact, you have reached bronze level. Ooh. And I have down here... A very lovely certificate, and I would like to present this to the very lovely Phil, who has been coordinating your efforts as a church. Let's give Phil a round of applause. <laughs> Phil, do you want to just tell us briefly what you have done as a church? Um, yeah, I, I, will, I just want to say that... Um, we have a great church, and a lot of the planning and a lot, lots of the things to do with this building has uh, meant that we've had easy wins, which, which we, we've really loved. Um, it means that bronze has been made easier. One, one of the things I was most excited about um, is changing our energy supplier um, to actually a green energy supplier. So, for example, our lights, everything in this building is now green. We've deinvested from oil, um, and it's actually something we can all do, change your energy supplier, because, uh, yeah... It's a great thing to do. Wonderful. So, Phil, <laughs> congratulations and well done all of you as a church. And you'll be hearing more as you work towards silver level, I know. So, well done. Thank you. Great. So we're going to move on to take our communion <clears throat> together now. As we do that, do have a look at the Arosha UK leaflet that you've all got on your seats. Arosha, as a Christian environmental charity, has become the home for Christians who are interested in caring for this world, this amazing world. And I would love you to find out more, and I would love to be able to tell you more about what we do. So please do fill out the back page in your leaflet, and I'll be standing on the t at the table, not on the table, you'll be pleased, oh, I could do that. I'll be standing by the table at the back there by the coffee, so come and give it to me at the end. Steve. As Ruth mentioned, um, across the nation today, there are churches of all kinds of denominations and streams that are taking communion together as part of this green communion. So we're joining with thousands of others in doing this. 
a Russia have written a particular liturgy for this, which we're going to follow. Now, let me just say, as soon as I say that word liturgy, some of you say, what's he going on about? Because you've never been in any kind of liturgical kind of church. Reality is, we do have our own liturgy, by the way, whether we think we don't or not. We do in the way we do things, with the songs and the order of service, all of that. It is liturgical. However... Some of you won't have an Anglican or a Catholic background or other denominations where there's more of a historical liturgy. This is more uh, rooted in that, and therefore I'm going to talk you through it a little bit. We're going to follow their liturgy. We will do it together. And what will happen is when I read some of the prayers, or Ruth does, or some of the comments that will come on the screen here, the words that you are to repeat. And the words that you are to repeat are in bold and underlined. I hope this doesn't sound like liturgy for dummies, but it is. So um, when it comes up on the screen and you see that, just follow along and let's engage our hearts and minds in this wonderful experience together with thousands of others today, on this day. It just worked superbly to have Ruth here with us to do this, to celebrate communion together. Firstly, some prayers of penitence, so let's pray. Human sin disfigures the whole creation, which groans with eager longing for God's redemption. We confess our sin in penitence and faith. We confess to you our lack of care for the world you have given us. Lord, have mercy. We confess to you our selfishness in not sharing the earth's bounty fairly. Christ, have mercy. We confess to you our failure to protect resources for others. Lord, have mercy. May the Father of all mercies cleanse you from your sins and restore you in his image to the praise and glory of his name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And as we move into Taking communion together, I'm just going to read out these words of the peace. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, so, so shall the word that goes out from the mouth of the Lord not return empty, but accomplish the Lord's purpose and succeed in that for which it was sent. For you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And we have on this table here in front of us, you might notice there's a, a green cloth and Churches all around the country are taking this communion today with a green cloth on their table. And in fact, the bread that you're going to be eating has been, it's been made by someone here. I'm not sure who, but thank you ever so much who did. And they followed a special recipe that was written for us for this communion from the Hillfield Friary, a Franciscan uh, monastery. And yesterday, I was celebrating this in Canterbury Cathedral. So I hope that gives you a little bit of a breadth of the sorts of churches that you're joining in with by, by partaking of this communion. 
Oh, and do, if you're on Twitter, do have a look at hashtag EcoChurch and get an idea for the other churches that are getting involved and tweet as well if you would like to. But as we take this bread and as we drink this wine, we are remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And the bread, you will know, helps us to remember his body that was broken for us. And the wine helps us to remember his blood that was shed on the cross for all things. And as we look at this whole table here, it points us towards the future. And we look forward to the time when we will sit around the messianic banqueting table and we will all live together in harmony with all creation. So this is what we are doing as we share in the bread, in the body, and as we share in the wine and in the blood together. Let us pray, and then we will do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that your Son Jesus Christ made for us. We remember it. We live our lives in the good of it. We look forward to the future when all things will be made new. And we commit ourselves to you again as we drink this wine and eat this bread. Amen. So if the stewards could come out and begin to pass the plates and cups around, that would be wonderful. Wonderful.